question. As we read through our Bibles in a year, we're, we're reading and we're in Exodus now. And uh, what we've been looking at is we've been looking at God choosing one nation among all nations. And God wrote laws for this nation. That's what we're reading about right now. He led them through the wilderness and he fed them with angels' food. The Lord helped them to defeat their enemies. He gave them a promised land to live in. But even though God did so much for his people, his chosen people, they did not choose him. They disobeyed him. They turned against him. Sin and idolatry divided the nation. Foreign kings conquered them and and led them away captive to a strange land. They even destroyed their temple, the place where they worshipped God. But God promised that a remnant, a small group of Jews, would come back compared to what they were before they were defeated and carried away captive. That they would come back, return to their land, rebuild the temple, and begin again. Why? Why did God do this? Why did God preserve His people? Because in due time, God brought forth from this fallen, sinful nation a Messiah, and His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when He showed up, He did something they did not expect Him to do. When He showed up, He made a new way to God by dying on the cross and rising from the dead, and His plan to save men is called salvation. Now, when you think about Salvation, what you have is you have this this one word that we should put at the top of our paper mentally, at the top of your thoughts. Say, salvation, right up there. Big, bold letters. Now, underneath that word, that's like an umbrella term, underneath the umbrella of salvation, of our doctrine of salvation, there are other words that are related to it. And in many cases, basically synonyms for it. So when we think about our gospel Uh, list of vocabulary words. We're going to think about words that end in I-O-N. But today we're going to look at repentance and faith. Underneath this I-O-N word of salvation, we're going to look at repentance and faith. And what Jesus did on that cross was something in order to be able to save us. Now, these terms associated with salvation... We have to understand what they mean. And believe me, folks, the waters are are muddy out there. You go looking around on YouTube, you're going to get all kinds of different ideas, depending on who you're looking at and who you're listening to. You know why? You say, how could that happen? You're living in a fallen world, and you have a spiritual battle going on. And we have an enemy, and his name is Satan. He is the adversary of Jesus Christ. And he is... The one who confuses matters. Is God the author of confusion? No. The devil is. And he wants to confuse matters. And you say, uh, how do I keep these things straight? He's given us the word of God. A plain reading and a plain understanding of the word of God is what's in order. Folks, everything that God wants you to know for salvation is so easy to understand. It's so simple. He wouldn't make it hard. He'd make it easy enough for a child to be saved. I might talk about a friend that I spoke about in Sunday school, six years old, came to Christ for salvation. And he understood it as a six-year-old. He makes it so easy that even a child could be saved. He wouldn't make it hard. He wants you to get saved. He died on the cross for you to be saved. He's not going to make it hard. 
But he did something that nobody expected when he got up on that cross. Now today, we begin with repentance and faith. In our passage, you notice that he says uh, in verse 30, And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rose from the dead. You know what Jesus said? Moses and the prophets. That's what God is going to use to bring about repentance. You know what the prophets are? It's the word of God. You know what Moses is? He wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they, they had Moses' teachings. And there were those who sat in Moses' seat teaching. And they were teachers during Jesus' day. And Jesus said of them, because people said, well, yeah, but they're sinners and they're doing things that are wrong. And they've, they've veered uh, off of uh, what, what they ought to be doing and, <clears throat> and they're corrupt. But Jesus said, where they teach, he said, those that sit in Moses' seat, even though some of them are corrupt religious leaders, he said, those that sit on Moses' seat and where they teach according to Moses, you do it. That's what Jesus said, even though some of them were corrupt. He said, you do what they tell you to do. Because they sit in Moses' seat, in his authority. And you know what Moses, the law, and all of that was intended to do? Was to bring somebody to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. To show them through the law that they were entirely unable to keep the righteousness of the law. The law came to show people that they were sinners. The law, Paul said, was given because of transgressors. And the law was given to this one nation, to Israel, to show the whole world that God's standard of righteousness is is so high that we can't meet it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then the law is a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. And there was only one who ever kept it perfectly, and he kept it perfectly for us, and that's the Lord Jesus. He came to earth and did that. And so... uh, The law, he says, the law or the word of God. What I want you to understand from that is Jesus said it's the word of God that produces repentance. Now, here's a statement. Repentance and faith are worked in us by the Holy Spirit through the Holy Scriptures. The written word testifies to the living word. The written word is lowercase w. The living word is Jesus. That's an uppercase W in the Bible. And so Jesus is saying, hear this, hear this, hear this today. Acts 17, verse 30 and 31, Paul said, The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You think that includes you? All men. That includes you and includes all of us. We all need to come to that place in our life where we repent. Why? Because Jesus has come back from the dead. Because Christ arose, now God commands all men everywhere to to repent. Because He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, and that He hath raised Him from the dead. So because Christ came up, now God says it's a command Repent. And guess what? If you don't repent, guess what you're doing? You're breaking a command of God. You're disobeying God. Now we need to understand what it is to repent. You know what? I was listening to a testimony of a man 
who grew up as a Methodist, <clears throat> when he hit high school, he went into high school and he started to change his mind about what he wanted to do with his life. And he went to church out of habit. Now, he would have heard the gospel there, but he went to church out of habit. And in high school, he decided he wanted to do the party life. And then when he got to college, well, he, this is back in the 60s. So, you know, you had the Beatles and you had all this stuff going on, these big concerts and Pink Floyd and all that stuff. He decided he wanted to live this party life. And so, you know, what he, you know, he came to the logical conclusion because he was just at least being honest. He said, I don't want to believe in God, because if I believe in God, that means that I'm accountable to God. And that means that all the stuff that I'm doing is bad and it's sinful, it's wrong, and I'm going to be judged for it. And I'm guilty before a holy God if I believe in a God. So he said, I'm just going to be an atheist. I'm not going to believe in a God. And you know what? He tried to be an atheist for a long time, but he found out he didn't make a very good atheist because he said, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, to believe in that. But the reason why people want to be an atheist, or at least ignore God, maybe if you're not honest enough to say you're really living like an atheist, at least ignore God and just say, I want to do what I want to do. But guess what? Judgment is coming. <laughs> Payday comes someday. One of these days, you're going to pass from this life, and you're either going to end up where the rich man ended up in torment, or you're going to end up where Lazarus ended up with the Lord in paradise. Amen. Which is it? Will you repent? Will you repent? Will you obey the command to repent? Without repentance, listen, number one, repentance. Number two, faith. Number three, we go to lunch, okay? But before you go to lunch, if you're not saved, you need to get saved. Without repentance, salvation is not possible. Unrepentant sinners will not be received at God's place of mercy. John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. It was the first word that came out of his mouth that's recorded. Jesus taught his disciples to preach repentance. They went out, the 12, the 70. Peter preached repentance. Paul preached repentance. We're commanded to preach repentance. It's necessary. Those who are not repentant are not sorry that they are sinners. Now, that doesn't sink in just yet, but it will. They're sorry that they are sinners. Not sorry that they sinned. Not sorry because they sinned and got caught or there were consequences and they realized they did something bad. Sorry that they are sinners. I read the testimony of a man who grew up in church and he grew up in one of those kind of churches where it's kind of like the do-gooders church and the whole thing is just be good, be a good person, do good. And the whole time in church he said he never heard the word sinner. And the first time he ever heard the word sinner is when God really got a hold of him and he came to salvation in Jesus Christ. And he understood that I am, in fact, a sinner. The people who will not repent, they want to continue in sin. That's why they disobey that command. Salvation is for those who want to have their sins forgiven and are willing to turn from sin. Now, what repentance is not? Now listen, what I'm talking about is repentance for salvation. I want to be understood this morning. Repentance for salvation. I repented the night that I got saved, okay? But since then, I have been repenting. The, the Christian life is a life of repentance, deeper and deeper repentance, as he reveals more to you of how this is Jesus Christ, 
And this is you, and it's different than Jesus Christ, and you need to become like my son. It's a deeper and deeper repentance throughout all of my life. Now, salvation is not a process, but repentance sure is. Listen, salvation is the miracle of a moment, and it's something that only God can do. Only God can grant you saving repentance, the repentance that you need the moment you get saved. Only God can grant that. The Bible says that. Only God can give you the faith that you need to be saved. But your point, your part, is, the, is a matter of your will, is in order to choose that you want to repent. So what I'm talking about at salvation, I'm talking about a choice, I'm talking about a matter of your will, and I'm talking about you coming to an understanding of seeing yourself as God sees you, as a sinner. And at the moment of salvation, this is what happens with repentance, Okay. So it's different from repentance if I was just preaching like I was preaching to a bunch of Christians and talking about how you need to repent of this thing, repent of that thing. It's different, okay? So repentance in salvation is not cleaning up your life in order to to be saved. You do that and you'll go to hell. It's not cleaning up your life so that you can be saved. It is not making up for the bad things that you have done in hopes that God will be pleased with you so that you can go to heaven. You might be a good person, sweet person, might have cleaned up your life, reformed things, and uh, even apologized for things and made some things right, and you'll die and go to hell without Jesus Christ. You'll have a head knowledge of Jesus Christ, but it never goes 12 inches down to the heart. It becomes a matter of the heart. Making up for bad things that you've done is not gospel repentance. That's the lie of a self-righteous religious person. This comes from misunderstanding The doctrine of repentance. Let me put it like this to you. Repentance is not sorrow for sin. Talking about gospel repentance. It's not sorrow for sins that you've committed. It's not confessing the fact that you're a sinner. That's not repentance. Or confessing what you've done wrong. It's not restitution, fixing what you've done wrong. Listen, folks. Two people. I'm going to give you two examples. One is a picture of false repentance that does not lead to eternal life. One is a picture of true repentance that does. Gospel repentance. The first picture is Judas. Judas repented, but it was a false repentance. You know what he did? He sold the Son of God out. He went to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees and said, I'll turn him in. I'll betray him. What do you give me for it? And they said, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver, punk. We'll give you the price of a slave. He didn't get rich doing it. And Judas, for whatever reason, he did it. He did it and took that money, took the 30 pieces of silver, led them to where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then betrayed him with a kiss. And they led Jesus off and abused him and nailed him to a cross. Jesus went willingly. He laid down his life of of himself. But Judas was the man that betrayed him. And Judas realized that what he had done was wrong. And you know what he did? He was sorry. Yeah, he was. He was sorry. Read about it. He was sorry for his sin. He even went to the Pharisees and the Sadducees with the blood money and took it and threw it at him and said, Here, I've done wrong. I've betrayed innocent blood. He confessed it. And then he made restitution and giving the money back. But he couldn't change the fact that what he did led to Jesus' death, his crucifixion. But you see, he had sorrow for sin. 
He confessed his sin and he made restitution. And he went out and hung himself and died and went to his place. Went to his own place, the Bible says. He went to hell. That's not gospel repentance. You can be sorry for your sin. You can confess it to me or to somebody else. And you can make restitution. And I'm not saying those things are bad things. But I'm saying you can do that and it won't save you. That's not gospel repentance. Now hold on. If you're arguing with me in your mind, listen, here's true repentance. Peter. Yeah, here's the other side. Peter. Now Peter, when he met the Lord, you know what he said? They were on the boat. The Lord's trying to show Peter how to fish. Peter's so cocksure and full of pride and stuff like that. He's like, I'm a professional fisherman. What are you going to teach me? You know? And the Lord does some things on that boat and uh, does some miracles and impresses Peter. And Peter looks up into the eyes of omnipotence and omniscience and the pure eyes of the Son of God. And, and Peter sees the reflection of himself, so to speak. And Peter says, I re he says, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Go away from me. I am a sinful man. I have no business being around a rabbi like you, a godly, righteous man like you. What you've done today is displayed the power of God. And I am a sinful man. I am undone. You know what the difference is? Judas was sorry for what he did. Don't miss this. Peter was sorry for what he was. Peter was sorry for what he was. You know what? First, uh, first soul I ever led to Jesus Christ was the happiest day of my life up to that point, after my salvation. I was working with a group of kids in a juvenile detention center, a group of boys. And I'd go in there once a month. We'd all sit around a plastic table. And these boys were locked up. Like, they weren't old enough to go to prison, but they kept them locked up in that juvenile detention center. And uh, several, I mean, we'd have six or eight kids show up, might be two or three sometimes. And I'd sit there, and I, I was just getting started preaching, and I'd have my Bible lessons and stuff like that, just in the midst of Bible college and everything. And I'd have stuff prepared the best that I can, and I'd go in there one time and be like, oh, I blew it. That was terrible. That was awful. And I'd pray, and I'd study, and I'd write, and I'd try to you know, take things here and there wherever I could get them. And I kept going back, but I kept praying, and I kept working on them, kept working on them. And finally, after a number of weeks... I got the first results from the whole thing. And we're sitting there and we're going through the Bible lesson. And I don't remember what it was, but I remember watching a young man who'd been sitting there for weeks. His name was Nick. And Nick was just sitting there, was just shaken, man. He was under conviction. You can tell he was feeling guilty. He was feeling the weight of the Holy Spirit working on him, producing sin or dealing with him about sin, righteousness and judgment to come. And, and dealing with him and, and, and bringing about gospel repentance. And I remember sitting there watching him and watching him, the eyes start to fill up with tears. Now, sorrow, sadness does not, is not a, always a part of this, but watching his eyes fill up with tears and watching him just about shaking in his seat. We got done with the lesson. I said, all right, let's all bow our heads in prayer. Uh, now, any, any of you here want to get saved today? You know, did an invitation, stuff like that. And I said, just raise your hand. Nobody, don't look around. You know, you embarrass each other. Don't look around. Well, 
some of the boys, it, nothing. It wasn't nothing to them. They were just in there just to do something, but not Nick. And so Nick raises his hand like that, and I said, all right, okay, I'm going to pray for you. And I prayed, and I said, all right, you guys can go. And then I said, Nick, why don't you stay back with me? And he stayed back. And you know what Nick said that was different than the other boys? I'd talk to the other boys, and I'd say, do you understand what you've been doing is wrong? And that's why you ended up in here. And, uh, and they'd, they'd say, yeah, I know what I did was wrong, what I did to my parents. I hurt my parents, and I did this, and I stole here, and I robbed here, and I you know, broke into cars and whatever, and I, I you know, cut this person or whatever. And I know what I did was wrong, and uh, I'm just trying to, you know, trying to do right, trying to straighten up, and, and I, I want to I get out of here. You know, but Nick, you know what he said? Nick said, I know that I am a sinner. You know what Nick knew? He was the kind, he was not, not what he did was wrong. He was the kind of person that would do what he did. That's what he understood. Not just what he did was wrong, but he was the kind of person that would do those things. He understood, I am a sinner, and that's why I did those bad things, and that's why I'm in here. And he recognized, I don't understand all of this, but I'm a sinner, and I want to get saved. And so I was able to deal with him and say, first of all, do you understand that you're a sinner? Yes, I definitely understand that I'm a sinner. Do you understand that Jesus died for your sins and paid the penalty for your sins? And I was able to talk to him. He says, yes, I understand that Jesus died and paid the penalty for my sins. And I showed him verses, do you understand that you cannot work to be saved? That Jesus Christ did all the work for you on the cross. He said, it is finished. Do you understand that you can never be good enough to be accepted with God? You understand that? I showed him for the Bible. Yeah, I, under, I definitely understand I'm not good enough to go to heaven. I'd be guilty if I stood before God. Okay, will you trust Jesus Christ right now? Now, I asked him if you believe in Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, of course. And I said, Will you, is there anything right now that would keep you from trusting Jesus Christ and asking him to save you? He said, no, not at all. I want to do that. And so he bowed his head and trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. That was the first soul I was able to lead to Jesus Christ. Now, I couldn't save him. It was the Word of God, just like I said. The Holy Scriptures, as they're preached and taught, and the, and the Holy Spirit applying them Amen. and hearing the true gospel. You know what repentance is? It's agreeing with God that you're a sinner. It's sorrow and guilt for sin. Yes. Psalm 38, verse 18, For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. That surely is a part of it. It's a change of mind about the direction that you're heading. And forsaking sin, yes. But it has to begin with, I am a sinner. And that's why I do these things. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God because he will abundantly pardon. And it's a desire to turn in the opposite direction to God. It's not just enough to say I'm going to turn from sin. Don't miss this. All right, we're going to move on to our last point. It's not just enough to just say I am a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin and so I'm going to turn from it. I'm going to, make, I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to make restitution. I'm going to change things. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. That's not enough. Just like I said, you can't just turn from sin because you can turn from sin to all kinds of things. You can turn from sin to being a moralist and living a moral life and being a do-gooder. You can turn from sin to religion. You can turn from sin to all kinds of things. You can turn from sin to atheism. Sure. 
A lot of atheists are, might be better people than Christians, as far as men go. You've got to turn from sin to God, just like the prodigal son. He's a picture of that. He, he comes to the end of himself, he realizes what he's done, and he goes back to the Father's house. This is gospel repentance. As I've said so many times, you're going this way, you hear the gospel message, the Holy Spirit brings you under conviction, shows you that you are a sinner, and then brings about godly sorrow for sin and all that stuff, conviction, and then, you have a, and then calls you to turn. Turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ. If you try to turn to God by any other means other than faith in Jesus Christ, you missed it. You missed it. Luke 15, 7, Jesus says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. I told an illustration in Sunday school of a man that uh, went to the same Bible college that I went to, went out to Billings, Montana and started a church. When he got saved, he was six years old. and It was a faithful lady who led junior church and taught with a flannel graph. Does anybody know what a flannel graph is? And so had the flannel graph pictures, and she put in one group on this flannel graph, big blue thing, you know, and uh, put little white sheep all in a flock over here. And then on the other side of the flannel graph, she put one little lone sheep. And she said, some of you are like this little sheep over here. You don't belong to the Lord's sheep over here. You're this little one over here all by yourself over there. What are you doing over there? Jesus says, come to me. Jesus wants you to be saved and be a part of him and with him and his church. What are you doing over here? And that day he realized, listen, this is what he realized. A six-year-old boy, for two Sundays, the preacher had been preaching, you need to get saved, you need to trust Christ. And for two Sundays, that six-year-old boy said in his wicked heart, I don't want Jesus right now. I don't want to get saved. I know I need to, but I don't want to get saved. That's all he knew. So for two weeks, he denied Jesus. You know what, folks? He testified and he was right. That's the most wicked sin there's got to be. And he was guilty of it at six, denying Jesus Christ. That's the only one God, God can't forgive. He can forgive everything else. But you do that and you cut yourself off from salvation. Deny Jesus Christ. And you know what he said when he saw that flannel graph? He realized right there, he realized true repentance. He said, if I reject this, I'm going to hell because I am a sinner. And I'm wicked enough to commit the very worst sin of denying Jesus Christ. You see? And then he got saved. Today he's 38 years old and he's pastor in a church. So do you think it stuck? Do you think it works? Yeah, it was real repentance. He understood what he really was. He is a sinner. <clears throat> now listen, if today, if you say, yeah, I've lied. I know I've lied. Well, that's breaking one of God's Ten Commandments. I've stolen something before. Yeah, that's breaking another one of God's Ten Commandments. I've looked with lust at somebody either from the opposite gender or the same gender. I've looked with lust and looked at pornography and things like that or looked at somebody and wished that I could have them. And even if you only wish for it in your heart, Jesus says you're guilty of adultery in your heart. Yeah, I've committed all of those. If you understand that, you understand that you have sinned. But what you need to understand, you need to go farther and realize that you are a sinner 
And you're, that's why you did those things. And you need to realize that that's what you need to do. Come to God as a sinner. Come to God broken. Come to God empty-handed. Come to God in real repentance. Now, finally, as repentance is turning away from something. You say, what is it? Turning away from something. You're going your own way, and you turn from going your own way to God. Now, does that involve turning from sin? Absolutely. But you're turning from going your own way and you're changing your mind. That's what repentance is. Changing your mind. Agreeing with God about what you really are. Not just what you've done, but what you are. Changing your mind and turning to God. But you turn away from something. That's repentance. Faith is turning towards something. Without faith, we cannot please God. Hebrews 11.6 What faith is not? Faith is not a mental assent to historical facts. That's up here. It's good to have the knowledge, but faith is not a mental assent to historical facts. The devils believe and tremble. They believe in God. What faith is, faith is letting it go down 12 inches down to the heart. Faith is this, folks, taking God at his word. Taking God at his word. Faith is complete confidence in God. It's trust in God. It's trusting what he said in the Bible about what you have to do to be saved. That's faith. People of faith know that these things are true. They agree to that truth, and they accept, they accept the truth of God personally. This is faith. This is faith. I've used this illustration several times before, and I don't know who this first person was that taught me but this is, the, this is what the illustration is. Okay, this chair is going to be used as an illustration for faith. This is what God says to do to be saved, okay? God says that you need to understand that you're a sinner. So you need to understand that you're guilty, and if you die in your sins, you're going to go to hell. God doesn't want you to go to hell, so he sent Jesus. Jesus came and laid down his life on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins. You've got to accept that payment. He died and was buried and rose again the third day. Now, all who come to him by faith, trusting in the payment that he made to pay for the penalty of your sins, trusting in just go and cling to the cross. Cling to the cross. If you put your trust in anything else, that's not what I'm talking about. Talking about 100% in what Jesus did. You trust in that. Some of you don't look convinced. You know what Paul said about, the, about the, the Jews who wanted to have the law of Moses and Jesus? He said, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have missed it, he says. Gone about to establish their own righteousness. What is God's righteousness? When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're justified from all things. There's a difference between self-righteousness in God's righteousness. The people who miss it are the people who stick with the self-righteousness. The righteousness that is of God is of faith. You believe in what Jesus did on the cross as a payment for your sins. Amen. When you trust Jesus, when you come to God, the only way that he ever taught that was right, and turn from every other way that you ever thought, and turn to the way that God showed you, and you trust him, then that faith, that faith in Jesus Christ, God says, he's got faith in my son. She's got faith in my son. And God says, I'm going to count that for righteousness. 
and he'll put the righteousness of God on your account. That's what I'm talking about. Let Jesus pay the penalty for your sins. If you don't, you're going to die and go to hell and pay the penalty for your own sins. Turn or burn. It's Christ or hell. Repent or perish. You see, it's not hard. Not hard to understand. It's hard to accept. Some people, here, here it is. If I say to you, this is a good solid chair, and you can see obviously that it is. Good solid chair, I think it's going to hold up my weight. I think if I weighed 300 pounds, that thing would hold up my weight, no problem. And, uh, and I say, yeah, it's a good chair, it, it'll hold me up. And you might say, well, why don't you sit down on it? And I say, well, I believe it'll hold me up. Yeah, but why don't you just sit down if you believe it's actually going to hold you up? And I, until I actually sit down on the chair, I'm not really putting my faith in this chair. And trusting it to hold me up. And until you turn, repent of either your, just going your own way, whatever it is. Until you turn from that and turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ and put your faith in Him, you're not really trusting Him. Until you rest all of your weight, throw yourself on the grace of God. You know what grace is? Unmerited favor. That means you cannot possibly work to earn God's favor. And until you do that, <clears throat> you remain unsaved. Do you understand that you're a sinner today? Romans 5, 8 and 10 says this, God commendeth his love toward us. Don't shut the word of God out. This is the way that God says he's going to save you. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Much more than being now justified by his blood. Justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's it. That's how you're reconciled to God. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He rose from the grave. Do you believe that Jesus, the son of God, died to pay the penalty for your sins? Do you believe that he rose again from the grave on the third day? Do you understand that good works cannot save you? Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Saved. These are some people who say, we're saved, and we understand how we're saved. It's not by our works. It's by His mercy that He saved us. It's done. Done deal. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Romans 4.5 But to him that worketh not, but believeth, on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness, just like I said. Your faith in Jesus Christ, in what he did, in his death, and shedding his blood, that's what saves. Will you trust Christ alone for salvation today? If you try to add anything else to Christ, you won't be saved. The authority of the word of God. Will you repent of your own self-righteousness? Receive God's righteousness through faith. He stands ready to save anybody that wants to be saved today. You have to come by faith and put your own personal trust in Christ crucified 100% for salvation. Either you let him pay for your sins or else you're going to have to go pay for your sins. Now, when you get saved, does it change your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm living proof of that. Every day it changes. All of these folks sitting here that are saved, living proof of it. Every day it changes our lives. The same gospel that calls for our repentance also produces it. Repentance is granted to us and it's a gift that comes from God. You can't work it up. I don't know how you could get around 
trying to think that salvation is by anything else other than faith. I don't know how you could get around that. Why don't you just try them out? You know, if you go away from here and you're not saved, you know what you're doing? You're like that six-year-old boy for two Sundays who denied Jesus and rejected him. Turned him down when you know better. Turned him down. And you know what the problem is? You don't need to just be sorry for what you've done. You need to be sorry for what you are. But you know what? God receives sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. That means I qualified. He died for me. You've got to come admitting I'm the ungodly one. I'm the one that I need to be saved and I can't save myself. You can't save yourself any more than a drowning man out in the ocean could save himself from drowning. He needs a lifesaver. He needs a preserver. I'm throwing out the lifeline today. I'm not messing around. It's heaven or hell. It's a dying man speaking to dying people about a living Savior. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you.